This evening's reading is from Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go, make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things, just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, 
Before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written... And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Hello, um, my name is Stephen. I'm the youth minister here at Bishop Paynton Church, and I'm Greek Cypriot. And if one thing we are good at as Greek Cypriots, it's food. So, like this passage is like made for me and my people. Love it. So excited. Um, <laughs> but before we get into that, um, anyone been to the Brighton Royal Pavilion? Yes, fantastic. <laughs> we, we have a lovely staff day out there. Uh, the best thing about the Brighton Wolf Pavilion is the Great Kitchen, obviously. And it is spectacular. But, 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 but in, in the Great Kitchen, there's this kind of sign in the corner which commemorates a feast. A feast put on by like, um, Prince Regent um, George IV for, for, for Grand Duke Nicholas of Russia on the 18th of January, 1817. It's a hundred courses of pure munch. We're talking, here's some highlights from the, from the menu. It says, um, um, oh, eight removes of fish. Anyone know what a remove of fish is? But anyway, there's eight removes of fish. There's 40 entrees served around the fish, including like, like boar and venison and chicken. Around the fish. And then there's eight roasts, eight great pieces, whatever those things are, 32 different desserts. And my favorite thing, the Royal Pavilion rendered in pastry. Right? Imagine that! Like, what a sensational banquet. Surely that has to go down in history as one of the finest feasts of all time, right? Surely. But, but I think kind of what we're celebrating tonight, what we're looking at tonight in Luke 22, is even more stunning and even more impressive. Because in Luke 22, in what's called the Last Supper, Jesus is tying together the past, the present, and the future into one incredible meal. For you cooking nerds out there like me, this is lamb three ways. We've got the Passover lamb, we've got the, 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 the lamb of God, it takes the sin of the world, and the wedding supper of the lamb. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to see how wonderful and spectacular this meal in Luke 22 truly is. Amen. Have a look at Luke 22. Uh, can you notice how many times the word Passover kind of crops up? Like, like, it, it, it's heavy on the Passover in those first like, few verses. It's over and over again, verse 7, verse 8, uh, that town in verse 11, down to verse 13, over and over again, five times it comes up, Passover, Passover, Passover. Luke wants us to know when this is all happening. Passover time. And particularly the day of unleavened bread, like, like, like feast day. So that's why he kind of says in, in verse 8, Peter and John go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. But, but, but notice that Jesus never actually tells them where they're going to eat. It's kind of all like a bit like spy thriller kind of thing. Like, hey, guys, go and look for the man carrying the water jar. When you find him, then you know you're safe, right? 
it, it feels a little bit like, like kind of look for the lady with the red carnation um, in her hat kind of thing. Um, and you're thinking, why all this sneakery? Like, what is going on? See, I think Jesus doesn't tell them the location because of Judas. You remember Luke 22, verse 4? Have a little look there with me. Judas went to the chief priests, the officer of the temple guard, and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. Well, those are some chilling, horrible words right there. There's this kind of plot to arrest Jesus and have him executed. Jesus knows all about this. Actually, if you're looking for the, for the ideal time to kind of betray someone away from the crowds, away from prying eyes, well, a kind of intimate Passover meal, that's the perfect time for it, isn't it? Jesus doesn't tell his disciples because he doesn't want Judas ruining this meal. This meal is that important to him, that significant. In fact, look at verse 15. Jesus says, I've eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. There's an earnest like, longing now. I've waited for this moment. This is a big, big deal. Because it's Passover. When God's people celebrate the past, when they go back to kind of um, that, that, that incredible rescue event of history, when they're free, liberated from Egypt by the death of a lamb. And my word, Passover is a big deal. It's like tens of thousands of people descending on Jerusalem. Some historians estimate like 200,000 people coming to the city for that Passover time. Like, that's ridiculous. And today, verse 7, is, is, is the day the lambs are sacrificed. So Peter and John would have kind of taken their lamb with everyone else to the temple uh, between the set slaughtering hours of like 3 till 5 p.m. Like thousands of people. Imagine the bleating. <laughs> like, like the noise, the smell. Sheep sails like soaring like Christmas Day turkey, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And, and, and they take their lamb there. The priests sacrifice the lamb en masse. And then Peter and John would have taken their, their, their kind of sacrificed lamb and, 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 and wandered off. And then put it on a pomegranate spit with the rest of the city roasting that lamb. If you smell, take a big whiff now. You may be able to smell some faint wafts of lamb coming over from the kitchen. See, see, like the smell of lamb would have hung over that city like a dense cloud, a sweet, wonderful dense cloud. Lammy goodness in the air. The smell of Passover. And then kind of um, when the meal was ready, they would have sat down to eat with every kind of element of the meal representing something different. So they would have eaten kind of these bitter herbs to remind them of the bitter taste of slavery. They would have um, taken the unleavened bread to remind them of kind of leaving Egypt in haste without time to yeast their dough. And they would have said those kind of words on the screen. They would have said, this is the bread of affliction, which our ancestors ate when they came from the land of Egypt. They, 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 they would have poured out kind of um, four cups of symbolic wine and drunk them at different points in the meal with different liturgy to kind of praise God, to kind of remember, to kind of think back to that Passover day. But the kind of centerpiece of this whole meal the freshly sacrificed lamb, roasted to perfection. Kind of that reminder of the lamb that died on that fateful night to save God's people from judgment. See, 
this was a meal about kind of celebrating the great rescue event of the past that shaped God's people. In fact, the Passover was kind of them immersing themselves in the past, in that great rescue event. It's a really, really significant and important meal. And kind of, you can picture Jesus like sitting there, kind of uh, um, passing around the lamb, enjoying the bitter herbs, like, like, like drinking, celebrating, eating, reminiscing, and probably talking about what's happened in Jerusalem, and kind of having good times, good vibes, until verse 15, and Jesus changes the tone a bit, doesn't he? He kind of says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Then verse 16, he says, I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, guys, suffering's on the horizon. Suffering is coming. In fact, in fact I'm not going to be here this time next year. I'm not going to be around. As well as retelling the great historical salvation event of the past, this Passover meal, this Last Supper, it's Jesus kind of acting out what is going to happen to him in the present. Acting out the day of the cross, the next day, in front of their eyes. He's showing them exactly what's coming up. Like verse 19, he takes the bread, gave thanks, broke it, Gave it to them saying, this is my body, given for you, do this remembrance of me. He's he's showing them with the bread that his body is going to hang limp and lifeless on a cross. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, the the, the third cup, they reckon, and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The cup symbolizing kind of the red blood that will be spilled the very next day as a spear pierces into his side. Jesus is showing them exactly what's going to happen play by play on the very next day. It's the present being right, acted out right in front of them. But he also tells them why he's doing it. Notice there in verse 20, Jesus kind of says, um, the new covenant. Now, um, that's kind of Old Testament language, Jeremiah language from hundreds of years previous to this. When God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says these words in Jeremiah 31, he says, The days are coming when I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with my ancestors, because they broke my covenant. Now, covenant is a fancy word. It kind of means a relational binding contract. And there in Jeremiah, hundreds of years before the Last Supper, God is saying, I'm going to make things new. I'm going to make a brand new way for human beings to relate to me, the living God. And this new way of relating to each other, man, it's going to be good. Everlasting closeness, forgiveness of sins, a covenant that cannot and will not be broken by human sinfulness, that cannot be sabotaged by human rebellion. This is amazing and exciting. And Jesus, in taking that cup, is saying, hey, tomorrow, when I die on the cross, when my blood is spilt, this new covenant's coming true. That's exciting. And you notice how Jesus is kind of tying together past Passover and present cross. He's kind of saying this ancient meal, it's not about a lamb. It's about me. I find it 
funny how children have no concept of time. Um, especially when it comes to food, they have kind of no idea how long it takes um, for a meal to be prepared. Did anyone notice this before? Like, like, like kind of no concept of understanding that kind of thing. So for me, I think it was like the late teens, early 20s, I finally realized how much effort and time goes into Christmas Day. Like, like, like how much effort and planning and, and preparation my dad puts in to making that turkey. He writes spreadsheets and flowcharts like months in advance, like, like mapping out the exact ingredients, how much they cost, everything. It's all done, detailed. And I think lots of us kind of do a similar thing, mapping out, getting our stuff early. Hands up if you bought your turkey already for Christmas Day. Oh, wow. I thought there'd be more than, well, okay. Well, maybe not. <laughs> but, but like special meals require a serious amount of prep time to make them like really special and fancy. That 100-course banquet would have taken a lot of time to get it ready. And Jesus is taking these old signs, the bread and the wine, and filling them with fresh meaning. He's kind of saying, God has been preparing for this meal, for my death on a cross, for a long, long time. He said, every single Passover lamb sacrificed throughout history has been pointing to me, the true Passover lamb, the lamb of God who dies to take away the sin of the world. Wow. Just like Passover was the great rescue that shaped God's people of the past, so the cross would be the greater rescue story that would shape God's people forever. Like they're eating to look back and eating to look forward to tomorrow. And you can kind of just picture the disciples like, like, like looking at the lamb, looking at Jesus. Lamb, Jesus, lamb. Jesus, like, like, like all red wonders, they kind of start realizing, oh, I know what's going on. Until Jesus kind of changes the tone yet again and brings it right down. Verse 21, he says, the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. <sighs> to betray someone in those days is kind of a really, really big deal. Um, Jessica Britt said this, an invitation to one's table signified an offer of peace, acceptance, protection, and a promise to support and care for the guest. To then betray someone with whom you had dined was considered one of the most heinous acts imaginable. It's a big deal to betray someone. And so the disciples, as soon as they hear that kind of word, betrayal, look at verse 23. They began to argue among themselves which of them would be the one who would do this. You can kind of hear them, can't you? Like, it's not going to be me. Like, I was there on the mountain. Like, no way it's going to be. I'm his best friend. It's not going to be me. And just like any kind of meal involving kids that goes on for far too long, it ends in arguing and fighting. Verse 24, a dispute arose among them, which one was the greatest. They start going on from there, going, I'm the greatest, I'm the best one here, it's me. I love it. Because this tells me the Bible's real, doesn't it? Like you can picture this happening, you can hear their argument, you can hear their fighting, you know this genuinely happened. And it's not the first time in Luke's Gospel either. In Luke 9, Jesus tells the disciples he's going to die. And straight after that, the next verses, they start arguing about who's the greatest. I think Luke is kind of reminding us the kinds of people that Jesus is eating with. 
proud, arrogant sinners. Proud, arrogant sinners who would abandon him and leave him behind, as he kind of talks about Jesus later on. Proud, arrogant sinners, including, um, well, 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 including Peter, who in verse 34 is told that he's going to deny Jesus three times in his lowest and most dark moment. Proud, arrogant, and angry disciples, who in verse 38 are there ready for war when Christ is ready for the cross. These are the kind of people that Jesus is eating his last meal with. And I think that's really important for us. Because as well as a meal about the past and a meal about the, the present, I think this Last Supper is a glorious glimpse into the future. All throughout the Bible, the future hope of God's people, glory, is described as a banquet. Because banquets are kind of like feasting and fellowship and closeness with someone. It's you, you love and joy. Like in Isaiah 25, uh, this is some of the wonderful description that Isaiah uses to talk about our future hope. He says, um, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. The best of meats, the finest of wines. He will swallow up death forever. That's the hope God put you on a great banquet that his people can feast at. Wow. And I think that is on Jesus' mind as he's eating the Last Supper. It's in, in his conversation, isn't it? In verse 16, verse 18, he talks about the future, the kingdom of God. But then, in verse 30, Jesus says, to these disciples who will betray him, who will abandon him, who will deny him. You may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. See, at that last supper, Jesus is, is kind of the host. The host putting on the meal, isn't he? Like, like he tells Peter and John to go and kind of prepare the feast. But verse 13 tells us he's done all the work already. He is the one who's hosting and, and putting on this banquet. The living God eating with sinful human beings. And I think this is a beautiful, glorious picture of our future. In fact, it reminds me of um, Luke 15, verse 2, where in Luke 15, verse 2, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, kind of try and slander and slag Jesus off. So they, they say, This man welcomes sinners and eats with him, as the most like horrendous insult they can think of. And yet, that is what Jesus is all about. Their insult, Jesus wears as a badge of honor throughout Luke's gospel. He's there eating with sinners, welcoming them into his family. Like, like that's what Jesus is all about because that's what our future is like. It's the Lord God Almighty welcoming sinners and eating with, with people who are now saints who were sinners. That's our glorious future. This Last Supper is a picture of that heavenly banquet. Um, when you're a child, one of the most exciting things is when your parents hold a dinner party 
uh, on dinner party days, kind of, you have your beige food before them at like 5.30, and you go to your rooms to go to sleep, and it's like, oh no, because downstairs, it sounds so fun. Like, you can hear the music, you can smell the food, you can hear the chat, and, the, and it's so exciting. And if you're like me, you kind of open the door, and you sneak down, and you sit there looking longingly through the little gap in the door. Ah. And then the best thing ever was when mum and dad said, hey, come in. And suddenly, you could come and kind of come and, and sit at the table and sit and eat the food and like drink the drink and like chat to people. And it's like the most amazing thing ever. Oh, for me anyway. Um, and this Last Supper is so significant because you haven't got to sit on the stairs looking into the heavenly banquet on, on your own. This Last Supper is Jesus inviting you and me to that table. This last supper is Jesus tying past, present and future together to say, I'm going to die on a cross so that you can be at my banquet and feast with me forever and ever and ever. You can sit next to, 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 to Peter, who's going to deny me. You can sit next to James, who's angry and violent. You can sit next to these guys. And no amount of your sin can disqualify you if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus. What an invitation. What a beautiful picture of our future. And so I just want to ask you, like, will you be there? You know, it's, there's two spaces on this table here. Kind of one for each side of the room to look at. You're invited. Wouldn't it be wonderful... Like in thousands of years' time, we're sitting there in glory, looking around at everyone's faces in this room here, munching chicken wings, munching quiche, whatever else we're eating, um, and celebrating that our Saviour has saved us. Wow. What a special meal. Past, present, and future rolled into one. Um, I want to end the way Jesus does, because Jesus kind of gives his disciples like a little toolkit for the life between two feasts. Because we're not at that wedding supper of the Lamb just yet. It's past the Last Supper. Jesus has died on the cross, risen and gone to glory. But we're not there yet. So he kind of says three little tips to help his disciples and us for how to live between these two feasts. Serve like him, serve like me, suffer for me and sup with me. Um, he says, serve with, like me. Jesus kind of redefines greatness. He says, greatness is sat found in service, doesn't he? Midway through that meal. He kind of says, um, um, people in the world, they're fighting for position and power and looking to be the best and to be well known, but not you. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, the one who rules like the one who serves, for I am among you like one who serves. Like, true greatness isn't found in being the best, being the, the funniest, being the cleverest, being the, uh, um, the most well-known person, no, no, no. It's found in service. See, greatness is second place, third place, fourth place. Like greatness is, is, is last. Greatness is doing the unseen stuff. Greatness is listening and not having to say your piece. Greatness is thinking, how can I bless you? Not thinking, why aren't you blessing me? That's true greatness. Like life between the feasts, serve like Jesus. And then he kind of says, suffer for me. 
You notice that the disciples are told like Satan's going to sift them like wheat. Then towards the end, um, he says like, sell your cloak and grab a sword. It's going to get pretty intense for you guys. If they crucify our Savior, if they kill our Lord, if they kill our God, what are they going to do to those who follow him? We may not face the same pressures that the disciples face, but it's still going to be hard for us to follow Jesus in this world between these feasts. We're going to face social like, rejection. We're going to face like pointed, sharp words, like harsh laughter and potentially job losses too for what we believe. But think about it. If we've got a place at the table, no one can take that away from us, no matter what happens to us. No matter how hard it gets, glory is coming. Uh, And Jesus also kind of says, sup with me. Um, Verse 19, he, he, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Right there, Jesus sets up um, the church family meal to sustain God's people between these two feasts. This communion is our spiritual substance. See, just like Passover was for the Jews, so this meal that we're about to eat a bit in a few moments' time shapes us as the Christian family. It's a kind of visible sermon that we preach to, to each other and to ourselves to remind us that, well, we receive communion. It's Jesus serving us. When we receive this communion, we look back to remember the great rescue event of the past. We kind of look around at the people that are going to be there with us in that future glory. And we look ahead to that future banquet celebration with absolute joy and delight. BH, communion is an absolutely wonderful thing. Treasure it. Here's what um, Scott Hubbard said, bread and wine, loaf and cup, they could not look more ordinary, but they could not contain more glory. That's the meal we're about to eat. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the most wonderful and brilliant meal, that last supper that shows us the past, the present, the future, brought into one incredible lived out story. Thank you that through the death of your son on the cross, we have access to the banquet table of glory. And because we have that place, Father, wow, help us to serve like you, to suffer for you, and feed us and sustain us as we sup with you. Amen.